Hi, we are Caroline and Levi Holt, and we're part of the family here at Holt Farms. When I think of the people that I know that I watched wear Liberty overalls growing up, hard work, determination, perseverance, just a real appreciation for their craft and what they did and, and for things that, that lasted and for things that, that meant something to them. That's what I saw walking around in Liberty overalls. Shop LibertyBibs.com for your pair today. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today we are replaying an oldie but a goodie. Now, if you have been a longtime listener of the Rural Woman Podcast, then you know the name Annabelle Morgan. She has been a friend of mine and of the podcast since the beginning. And this week's episode is a replay of our first Annabelle Morgan hosted interview where she interviews me. This has been a fun episode that we have done a couple of times now, and we are bringing it back. Now, if you are on my email list, then you already know this new episode is coming where Annabelle will ask me anything. If you're not on my email list and you would like to have me in your inbox, then I would encourage you to head to today's show notes and sign up and join our email community where I can keep you up to date on all things Rural Woman Podcast, the farm, the shop, all of the things. So you can head on over to wildrosefarmer.com and join us on our email list or through today's show notes. Now, if you would like to participate in an upcoming Ask Caitlin Anything by submitting your questions for me, you can head to today's show notes as well. There is a link for the Ask Caitlin Anything questions. So click on that and submit your questions. And our hostess with the mostess, Annabelle Morgan, will be selecting questions for an upcoming Ask Caitlin Anything episode. We will be back with brand new episodes of the Rural Woman podcast, starting with the Ask Caitlin Anything interview by Annabelle Morgan in November 2022. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's replay with our hostess with the mostest, Annabelle Morgan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rural Woman podcast. 
I am your host today, Annabelle Morgan, and today we are interviewing, in a major plot twist, Caitlin Dubin. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so you are being a very good sport, and you're allowing your listeners and me to interview you instead this time for fun. Yes. And I know we all love your podcast. And I was actually listening to your um, one that was, you kind of did a podcast about all of everybody put together and kind of the highlight reel. And we all have such common threads, even though they're, we're all different. I think that's why I enjoy listening. And I appreciate there being a good sport about this. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> Don't be nervous. I'm a little nervous about the questions. Plus, I'm a little nervous about the host, to be honest, because really, I think my number one concern is the majority of my listeners are going to fall in love with you. And then they're going to be like, we would like <laughs> Annabelle to be the forever host of the Royal Woman podcast. Caitlin, get out of here. <laughs> I doubt it because we love listening to you. And we love your Canadian accent. And I can't say rural. rural. So <laughs> it is very hard. It. I'm fired. Man. Okay. So what we did was we asked online, or I asked online, and there was actually a lot of questions, and I don't think we'll have time to get to them all. I kind of picked out some of my favorites. And if we have time, there's some extra ones, but these are all from listeners. And some asked a few, and I'm just going to probably do one from each person. So Okay. You have this all planned um, out. You're like the greatest podcast host of all time professional podcaster. Um, <laughs> obviously, because we did it in your hotel room last time, I know the whole deal. You know all okay. of my secrets. <laughs> I do. I do. I know the whole thing. Actually, that was terrifying. Your computer screen with all these numbers and like, oh, man, no way. Anyway, <laughs> so the first question is, how do you think that social media is improving communication for farmers? Hmm, that's a good question. I think... Because farmers and ranchers and homesteaders, we are in a rural setting. We are away from the majority of other people, I guess. We are close to our neighbors, some of us. But other than that, we don't really have a chance to connect face-to-face. -face. So I'm thinking that online, we're able to connect with one another as well as share information about what we're doing on our operations. So I think that has been an improvement over the last 15 years or however long we've been doing this social media thing for now. And I think it's growing. And I think people are building these platforms that are not only expanding to build community with farmers and ranchers and homesteaders, but also people who are not directly involved in agriculture. Yeah, I agree. Has it been 15 years for social media? It seems like it's a long time now. I'm trying to think of it because like I'm trying to think of when I went on Facebook, I was in right. high school probably. Well, you're younger than me, but I think it was definitely in my early 20s. So yeah, I guess 15 years makes sense. Yeah. So I'm going to go from serious ones to silly ones because just to make it fun. Okay. So the next one is, did your gum gopher project work this year? So for people that don't know... Caitlin is an organic farmer. Obviously, if you're listening, you know that. And so when dealing with things like gophers, you have to come up with sort of inventive and different ways rather than poisoning or euthanizing 
And so you use gum to kill them. So do you want to explain that and then maybe tell us how it works? Right. So I don't know if it's a wives tale or whatever it is, but my husband told me like, this is your job in the spring. Like you go shove gum down gopher holes. (laughs) So originally I think we were using, or he used double bubble, but then read somewhere on the internet that juicy fruit worked better. So we haven't patented this gopher killing technique by any means, but this year in the majority of our fields. So one of our fields, I know that I was doing gopher patrol last year. I noticed that this year there definitely was not as many, but I'm not sure if it's because of the gum or if there was a badger over there. So (laughs) (laughs) well, either way, either way. (laughs) But uh, this year we had one of our dry land fields. It was really bad and it was really hard to control the gophers. And I think what happened this year is we didn't necessarily get out there as soon as we would have liked. And when I say we and all that kind of stuff, it was me. Like it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> According to my husband, there's no we in this. Of but Of course it is. Yes. <laughs> but um, it's better if you go out in the spring, like as soon as possible, basically as soon as the snow starts to melt, because once they start breeding, that's when it's hard. Right. So, and the field is actually next to like our neighbor's kind of acreage homestead thing. And he breeds great Pyrenees dogs. So I think the dogs scare the gophers into the next field. So we got all of his gophers too. So at oh, least. Oh, that's handy. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Paul, for that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it does work. You just have to be consistent with it. And like, it's not poisonous to your house pets or your farm pets or anything like that. If your goat eats some gum, like, I think it'll be okay. Right. Like, just be blowing bubbles. But yeah, that's kind of <laughs> like, that's why we do it. We can't spray, we can't do anything in the sense of what a conventional farmer can do for gopher control. And a big side note is I'm not trusted with a gun. So that's another thing that you can do for gopher control is use a gun, but nobody trusts me with a gun. So, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I get it. Right. I actually don't, I'm not a hunter, but I do like shooting gophers. It's like the one thing I do every year. I don't know why. I feel like if somebody taught me how to use a gun, I'd be okay with it. But my hand-eye coordination isn't great. So like, I'll stick with juicy fruit. So <laughs> you're also so tall. You're so far away. I'm like really right up close to the gophers. So exactly. It's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. That kind of leads into a more serious question. Someone was asking, and I think this is kind of a hard question because you can't obviously lay out what the organic standards are in Canada because there's so many. Right. But the question was, what are organic standards in Canada for grain farming and why did you switch over? The organic standards question is more of the husband question, if I'm being super honest with you. The process of switching over to organic actually started before I officially came onto the farm. So Justin and I have been together for seven years in November, and he started the process probably about six years ago of switching over to organic And I can get into more of the reasons why we did it or why he did it versus what the actual standards are. There's obviously lots of information on the internet. So a Google search will give you more of that information. But obviously, grain prices are typically higher for organic grains that come off of your farm. So and becoming certified organic also kind of gives you 
an edge on that, I guess. So that was one thing. Prices obviously are better. But Justin also, he is like the most curious, interested person I've ever met in my life. He always has questions about things. He always wants to know why it's like this or how it can be better. So I think conventional farming was almost boring to him, which I don't want to offend anybody with that. But it's you plant, you spray, and you irrigate, and then you harvest in the fall. And that's all it was. So he was kind of looking for more of a challenge. And so organic farming is obviously a challenge because we are not able to spray like a conventional person does. And um, yeah, we have a whole different set of challenges as organic farming. So that's kind of one thing for him. And also, no, we didn't own any spraying equipment. So we're not necessarily the biggest farm around here, but we're also not the smallest. So to find somebody to hire to spray in a timely matter of when we needed it done, we weren't necessarily the highest on anybody's priority list. So we kind of fell to the bottom of the spraying list. And uh, yeah, we didn't have anything. We couldn't spray. So we decided we're not going to spray and we're going to go organic. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's an insult at all because my husband, you know, when you are a multi-generational farmer ranch, just my husband in his time right now, he's kind of in the prime of his ranching life. And there's a whole lot of changes he wants to and is starting to make. And kind of the same thing, like, okay, well, we've been doing this for 100 years. Let's try something else. Right. Um, I think it's just laying a path for the future of the farm, whatever that may be, or yeah, ranch. So I don't think it's insulting at all. And I also, something that, I mean, you don't talk about it a lot because you, you're not usually talking about yourself on the podcast, but just from you and I getting to know each other when I ask questions, you guys put in, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about organic farming, especially online. Like you'll see like organic farms use spray too, and organic farms do this. Well, just from talking to you, it seems like you guys are out there like pulling weeds by hand or finding other alternative methods. And you have just from talking to you, I've learned a lot about organic farming that, you know, I didn't know. So I think people, do you feel like people misunderstand what you're doing because of just like any part of agriculture, but maybe some misinformation, like, no, actually we don't spray. Right. Well, yeah, and it's true. And there are things, I don't know if people know this or not, there are things that organic farmers can put on their crops. Things like fish emulsions and seaweed emulsions, that kind of stuff. Like those are things that we are actually able to spray on our crops. They're all organic. Anything that we put on our crop, any inputs that we have, has to go through our certifying body and be approved by them, which is overall approved by the organic standards of Canada and would be the same in the US, I believe. So yeah, there's definitely been times where even people have contacted me personally, and they are saying, well, my neighbor says they're organic, but I saw the sprayer out there. Well, unless you know what they're spraying, then you can't say that they're cheating or anything like that. And right. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting situation. And there definitely is a lot of misconceptions when it comes to organic farming. Same with conventional farming. There are so many misconceptions when it comes to conventional too, right? So it's just getting your story out there and setting the facts straight of what you actually do on your operation and having the stuff to back you up saying like, no, this is actually okay to be putting on this and this is why.
Tis the season to shop rural. Meet this week's Trailblazer Co. Holiday Gift Guide Featured Business. The Prairie Garden Collective is putting a new spin on an old tradition. This is not your grandma's garden club. When you purchase a monthly membership, you will gain access to monthly garden talks led by experts in many different fields of horticulture, along with virtual community discussions inside a private community and the opportunity to have your garden featured on their public social media pages. Create your perfect oasis by learning the nuances of gardening on the prairies. Give the gift of growth this Christmas by taking advantage of their early bird pricing until December 25th, 2022. Head on over to the link in today's show notes or theprairiegardencollective.ca to gift a membership or become a member today. And that kind of leads me into a kind of more of a silly question. Maybe not actually that silly, but I know one of your methods for some weed control was to start having some livestock eat it. Right. And you are doing both goats and cows, but the goats, you had a a listener wanting to know if you personally eat goat at home. I personally don't. I actually have never tried goat. And the reason being, I'm not against it. I just don't think in my area, there are a lot of restaurants that serve goat. There, you can't buy goat meat at the grocery store as far as I know. And this is only my second year in the goat business. And I haven't wanted to eat any of my personal goats, (laughs) except for Richard. Richard would have been (laughs) the only goat I would have ever eaten because he was awful. (laughs) That's really funny. Yeah, no, I I haven't. I think I've ever seen goat in the grocery store. No. And like, even finding lamb sometimes is hard in our grocery stores here anyways. So yeah, it's more of a specialty meat. And a lot of like this year, for instance, I've sold a few goats off of the farm directly, and the people have processed them themselves. So yeah, it's not a meat that's readily available. I'm not against trying it. I've heard you have to know how to cook it. It's very similar to veal, like you have to know the proper way of cooking it, or it might not taste great. So I'm open to trying it though. I will have to say it's not my favorite. I worked on a goat dairy and they ate goat every day. Every day. Every day. That's a lot of goat. (laughs) It is a lot of goat. I mean, you get used to it for sure, but it certainly was not my favorite. Right. (laughs) Actually, fun fact for you, October is goat meat month. I think it's called Goattober and it's (laughs) to build awareness about eating goat meat. That's amazing, which is the number one consumed meat in the world. So yes, it's yeah. not like we're the minority when it comes to not eating goat on a regular basis. So yes, yeah. This is another question, probably more of a serious one. Somebody wanted to know, and then there was a little story after, but she's new to the Instagram world and new to your podcast. And she is a city girl who met a farmer. And she was wondering if you get lonely on the farm. Because you've talked a little bit about your friends not wanting to come out because of the smell and stuff like that. But she is said she was feeling really like lonely and isolated. And even though she has friends, it's not the same. Right. Yeah, I can 100% relate to that. Not growing up in an agriculture background and not kind of understanding the way of life that a farmer leads until I was immersed in it. Yeah, it is definitely 
it's tricky. Like there are times where I definitely feel lonely. Like I'm coming out of a season where I have felt lonely and still do at times feel lonely. But now that we're almost done harvest and getting into the winter, that's kind of the time where I can get off of the farm and go do things that fill up my own cup. So like, for instance, I worked at the gym this morning and then I knew I had to do this podcast, but I was like, nope, I'm going to stay and I'm going to spin. So I did that and that makes me feel better. So yeah, it's hard. And I know like for me, like I said, like my friends don't come out here a lot and I get that we're all adults and we all have lives. Like lots of my friends have kids already and like we all have our own things going. And there are times where I know I feel like I am almost resentful of them that they don't make the effort to come out here and see me when they know that I can't leave. But at the same time, I know like I have to make the same effort to try and include them or just send a message and just say, hey, how's it going? Like, you got to find the middle ground here because this is not their life. They don't understand it. And for me or for us to expect them to, I feel like that's almost too much. I don't know if that makes sense. No, totally. And it's something I've caught myself doing a lot, like being resentful that a group of friends are on a vacation or even just out to dinner and it's calving season and there's no way I can leave. And then I realize that's my own fault. Like I can make this happen if I put in, you know, at certain times of the year or whatever. I think I just, I agree. It's, it's sometimes we're creating our own feelings and it's, you can get out there and do it. And, but I do think you have to make an effort when you're, and like you said today, you're like, no, nope, I'm going to do something for myself. Mm-hmm. You just have to be conscious about it. It's hard. It's super hard. And like, I definitely get into the times and the funks where I'm just like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to see anyone. I want to talk to anybody. And I'm yes. laying in bed at six o'clock at night watching Netflix. Like, and you know what? <laughs> it's, I think it's okay to go through those. But as long as you get out of those funks and you know that there are people there that love you and support you, even though they're not physically there for you all the time. I know if I called up my best friend right now and said, hey, I need to talk, she would be there for me. So absolutely. This is kind of a fun one. What's the easiest part of farming? We talk a lot about the hardships. What's the easy part for you? Hmm. I think the easy part for me, ooh, I'm trying to think of the easy part right now because we're just getting out of harvest and there was nothing easy <laughs> nothing about it. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> I think just the overall lifestyle is easy, right? Like we have the months and the weeks and the days that we work super hard. But then there's also that downtime, right? And I think even each day we have that downtime where we need to appreciate the lifestyle that we have, right? Like if I was in my old life, it's 1124 on a Tuesday. Like I would be working at my desk trying to get everything done before I went on my one hour lunch break where I had to rush back kind of thing, right? So we have this lifestyle that I don't think a lot of people understand, but I also don't think is appreciated enough. We live, most of us, in beautiful places. We get to take care of animals and our families, and we get to grow food for people, which I think is the most rewarding part of it all. So I think that's the easiest thing to forget, but I also think that's the easiest thing to enjoy. Right. Yeah, that's a good answer. It is. I can't. I don't know. The easiest part. That's a really hard question. Who asked that? I don't know how to do that. I have to go back. I didn't write their names down. I, I need to go back. So what changes 
do you and your husband want to make in the next 10 years? And she wrote a message after saying, this is not a personal question, more of like what business changes on your farm. Are you guys like, what are your goals? Right. I think always like we're looking to expand. And if there's ever land around here that is for sale, like if that's a possibility for us, then expanding is always good. I think something that is important that we should focus on. And what I think is one of the hardest things is finding employees and creating an environment for these employees that they feel like a team and that they feel like they're appreciated and they feel like they're also working towards something that's bigger, right? Like right. For, for us, like we always seem like we're strapped for the resource of people. Like we always need more people. And that's one thing of organic farming. I think that is a benefit is, well, because our growing season is a little bit more difficult and we have more labor intensive things, we're actually able to hire more people than we did when we were a conventional farm. So when Justin's dad did the farming operation without doing cattle and that kind of stuff, like the actual like crop growing and all that stuff, like they actually didn't need that many people. Like between Justin and his dad, they could probably have two full-time guys. Well, now I think at one point at Harvest, we had nine people. Wow. So like we're able to employ a lot of people, which is great for the economy, I guess, and for people to have a job opportunity on the farm. But also finding these people has been one of the biggest struggles that we've had. So I think that's something that we should focus on. And something that we've talked about is like with expansion comes, you know, the responsibility of finding employees that care about what we're doing here on the farm and not more or less just here for a paycheck. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But yeah, I think that's probably expansion is always a thing I have to, for me personally, and my goat slash cow operation, I think next year I'm gonna, I had 10 goats this year, and that was too many goats for me (laughs) to just handle on my own. So I think I have to take a, a look at my goat operation next year and maybe scale down a little bit on that. But also, like I fell in love with bottle calves this year. So now I feel like I just want 10 bottle calves next year. But <laughs> Those I have are things some I, for you. Yeah, <laughs> I, we were talking earlier before we started, but I wish we were kind of closer, not in a different country, because we could just trade back and forth here. Right. I could take your big ones and give them a good life, and you could take the babies and bottle feed them because I hate that part. I don't understand why you. Well, I say I don't understand why you hate it, but I was talking. It was Thanksgiving this past weekend up here in Canada, and I was chatting with. Justin's much younger cousin and she was saying like how cute bottle calves are and how much fun it would be and yes it was fun for probably like the first few weeks and then I was like oh my god I have to go out here and feed them how many more times today (laughs) right but (laughs) when it's like 30 below I don't know it's just not yeah but I've also been doing it for a long time so I don't know I always get excited when I get a bottle calf kind of and then I'm like oh wait I don't really want to deal with this. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh, this is a funny one. It's a quick one. Do people ever think you're growing pot with your hemp fields? (laughs) And again, for people who haven't listened before, she grows hemp, not the THC kind, which I've learned the difference now. Yes. I would say probably when we first started growing it, however many years ago, 
we definitely had more people stop by the side of the road (laughs) because it, you know what, it looks the same, it smells the same, but I promise you it will not taste the same. So please do not steal the plants out of our field to (laughs) dry them and smoke them. Yeah, no, it uh, it will definitely not do what you think it's going to do for you. So, <laughs> and it's legal now here in Canada. So, like, just go to the store and buy it. Like, it'll be okay. Have people stolen plants? Oh, I'm sure they have. Like, I haven't physically. It's not like you count. But. No, no, no. But yeah, no, there's definitely people that have stopped and looked. And I know, like, when Justin like first started growing it, like people would just drive by and their eyes would just be huge. They're like, what are you doing over here? And it's surprising <laughs> to me actually how many people, like if I post hemp plants or anything in the field on Instagram, how many people still ask me if we're growing marijuana? And like, I don't know the official rules on this, but I don't think you can grow marijuana outside. Like I know here, like when they're with the suppliers and stuff, like all of these are like grown indoors and have like big security fences around the buildings where it's grown. So yeah, I don't think you can grow it outside. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen, except my uncle's vineyard in California, um, (laughs) where he has illegal plots planted every once in a while. And he died, but my cousin has it now. But I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen it outside. But that's funny. It'd be funny to drive by your farm. Let's see. Do we have time for one more? Oh, we have time for lots more. (laughs) Okay. So somebody asked, and I don't really understand 100%, but I think it's a kind of a good question. I hope we're going to get it right. But they were wondering, is the Canadian government supportive of farming? And I think maybe in the US, obviously, there's lots of the farm bill and all sorts of things to support agriculture and lots of programs. And I think they were wondering if you have the same in Canada? This is a question I feel like I should have studied for. <laughs> I would say, <laughs> I would say yes and no. Like there are definitely times where there are bills or initiatives that come out that we all kind of cheer for and they're, they're, we're like, yeah, they get it. They understand what we're doing. And then there's other times things come out and we're like, what are you thinking? So I think it's a yes and no. For instance, one thing that recently came out or that has been talked about with the provincial government in Alberta. They recently came out with a bill saying it was in regards to the animal activist group that came onto a turkey farm that was actually pretty close to where we are. And they did a sit-in with these turkeys. You, We talked about this, Annabelle. Yes, but um, it's basically a bill against these animal activist groups saying that if you trespass onto these farms, like there are financial penalties for you. Also, like if you do it more than once, then you can go to jail for however long. So like, I feel like that is a bill that is needed in this day and age that we live in, that these are happening more often to pig farms, chicken farms, turkey farms, whatever. Like, I know people were cheering for that one. And I also, like, we have a feedlot on our property. And once that came out with the turkey farm being so close to here, like, I know that was a concern for me. Like, these aren't our cattle in the feedlot, but the animal activist group wouldn't know that. And they would be invading our space. Like, it's just, it's really uneasy. And I know that it's happened a lot in the States. And yeah, so... 
I would say yes and no, like a bill like that is useful. And I think it's a good thing. But then there's other things that they'll put a tariff on something or they'll say something with like pay for farm workers and that kind of stuff like that kind of throws us through a loop. But I would say overall, I think they're pretty supportive. And they know that agriculture is a big piece of the pie up here in Canada. Right, because agriculture in Canada is one of the largest grossing. I mean, isn't it one of the biggest incomes for Canada? Yes. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. It is. Okay. And even there was a study that was done in my local area that the town that's closest to us, 50% of all jobs and the economy is from agriculture, whether it's directly with farmers or like indirectly. So whether like it's farm insurance or the railway or anything like that, it all has to do with agriculture. So like, it's a big deal. That's huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, and like, even you were saying you're not the smallest farm in your area, but you're not the biggest nine employees is a lot on a farm. Yeah. And that's huge. Yeah. That's nine jobs. And it's nine mouths to feed. Like, (laughs) right. So, oh yeah, that's my question. Did you have to cook for all those harvest? I am so happy and thankful that this year I came up with a plan before we started and I had my mother-in-law and my mom helping with harvest meals this year. So I didn't have to cook nearly as much as I have in the past. So I was very happy that they were willing and able to cook for all of us most of the time. So I think I remember your mom being there and making like an insane amount of food. Well, we stocked up before we like got the party going here for harvest. So we went to the Costco and we bought as much as we could to make as many freezer meals as we could. So I stocked my freezer and then I would just call my mom or my mother-in-law and say, Kate, you got to cook tonight. I took this out of the freezer. Just throw it in when you get here and come and feed us kind of thing. So it worked out well. And I'm really happy that I had that support and the team behind me. Do you know what that is? What's that? It's a pro move. You're a professional now. Like you've got it. (laughs) I'm a professional farm wife. I have delegated out my tasks of feeding people. (laughs) Officially graduated. And now you (laughs) No, but it's important though. And it's something I take on a lot of those responsibilities and it can get really stressful. And it sounds silly. I think to people like, oh, you're stressed out. You have to cook for this. Like that's weird, but it's a lot of pressure. And then sort of the hardest part for me is hauling food everywhere. Yes. And then you have to haul it back. And it's mm-hmm. it's a big part of, you know, why people work. Sometimes a lot of people will say like, well, the meal is a big part of it. You know, we, we like a good meal. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. It is. <laughs> Another question was, you grow hemp, which is a unique crop. What are some of the other crops that you guys grow? And do you switch them on and off depending on soil health? So this year, what did we grow this year? There was some barley. We did some winter wheat, sunflowers. Sunflowers are actually still in the field in snow piles, but they're out there. Yeah, it kind of just depends on the crop rotation and soil health. So, And we also do a lot of intercropping. So with the hemp, we had beans in there as well. So we're getting two crops off of one field just kind of whatever is good companion plants for the hemp. But yeah, I don't ever say that we only grow, like we're hemp farmers, we grow a variety of different things. But yeah, winter wheat, barley, beans, hemp, sunflowers, kind of just a whole bunch of different stuff. What does the sunflower go towards? Is it bird seed or? They're meant for seed. 
yeah, they were just meant for seed this year. I can't even remember what there's I want black something. I'm trying to remember what they are. Justin has a science experiment on my kitchen counter of sprouting them. So <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Uh, there's a farm that's not that far from you that is a bird seed farm. And I don't know why. I mean, this is ridiculous. I've been in agriculture my whole life. And it didn't occur to me that there would be just like a full bird seed farm. Yes. But there is. And it's cool. Well, and some of cool. some of our hemp is sold for bird seed as well. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was in birds. So you introduced me to hemp and now it's like my favorite thing to put on stuff. It's so, so good. So I buy it all the time. Yes. It is so good. And I think like nutritionally, it's better than flax and what's another? Chia. That's Chia. another yep. popular one. But if you look at the nutritional label, hemp is better. I don't love chia because if you add it to anything that has any moisture, it turns into frog eggs. And I don't like that. Yes. And it also gets (laughs) stuck in your teeth more than anything else. That's not a scientific fact, but it's my reality. (laughs) I think think that's pure science right there because it's gross. Yes. (laughs) Frog eggs in your teeth. I'm going for the hemp. (laughs) So I talked about it in the beginning, but throughout all of your interviews, and like I said, you kind of did a culmination of I think you said that it was 25 so far. Is that right? 25? Yes. Yeah. What is, and you know, I, we've talked about this a lot, but you have very different women from major conventional ag down to people who do it on the side, trying to make it their full-time job. What do you think is a common thread throughout that you see in everybody? I found one just in your, like listening to your first podcast of the 25. But what is your take on that? I want to know yours first. And I noticed this before, for sure. But I think it kind of like really drew it together. It's the connection with nature. And I think it's something that just in many countries, we have gone to urban areas. And the disconnect from it is really major. And I think almost more so than the disconnect from agriculture, because agriculture is part of nature. So, but I think almost all of your interviews that I've listened to, somebody has mentioned it on some level. I don't know. Do you agree or am I? Yes, I agree. Well, I think just our occupation is to do with the land and to do with nature and without nature or the land, we don't have jobs, right? Like if we don't have the land to grow food on or, you know, the grasslands to grass or graze cattle on or anything like that, like we don't. We don't have an industry without the land. So I think, yeah, connection with nature is definitely a big one. I think the one thing that I've noticed through the 25 women that I've interviewed is everybody is doing the best that they can with the knowledge that they have. I don't feel like anybody is an expert in their field. And I don't think anybody has claimed to be an expert in their field. I feel like everybody has said like, oh, well, they're just doing the best they can with what they have. And I think that's a common theme. And I think that's really humbling. Like, and I don't think a lot of these women give themselves enough credit for what they do on their farms, ranches, or homesteads. I think, you know, a woman in agriculture is one of the most powerful tools that you can have. Because if we don't know how to do something, we're going to figure out how to do it. And we're going to probably figure out how to do it in a different way than our male counterparts might. So I think that's something that I've noticed, like every single one of these women are resilient as heck and 
are doing amazing things. So I think that's been probably, it's been the most inspiring thing to me for sure. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, except me, I'm an expert in everything. (laughs) Right. I think, you know, your title of your podcast even had the word expert in it. So (laughs) yeah, and now I'm an expert podcast host. Yes. I just can't wait until you edit this and put it back up on like, so everybody (laughs) can hear it and everything. Like, I'm so glad all of this work is done for me, Annabelle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I didn't know about that part. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I take it back. (laughs) Well, you have been a good sport and we appreciate you letting us ask you questions because like I said, sometimes you don't talk that much about yourself and there's lots of people that want to know more about what you're doing. And you did a fun one where you pulled questions out of a hat, but it's not the same as being on the spot. Somebody, Somebody drilling well, like a professional like yourself drilling me like it's a professional news. I mean, I don't understand why NBC's not calling me for their important interviews. It's very <laughs> true. I will put in a word with my contacts at NBC and Fox, CBC up here in Canada. Uh, BBC, yeah, BBC. Let's yes. get let's get na- international here. <laughs> This has been so fun. Thank you for saying you want to do this. And thank you to the listeners for asking such good questions. And, you know, like you said, I don't talk a lot about me because I'm always interested in other people and what they're doing. But if anybody ever has any questions about anything, I'm an open book. You can always ask me anything too. So we kind of forced you into this. It was, <laughs> yeah, you did really have a choice. So yeah, it's nice very true. You. There was a lot of peer <laughs> pressure. <laughs> We did a poll and yes. it was asking and it was like, you know, I won that poll by a landslide. So yes. thank Except you. for those two people, you know. Don't worry, I've dealt with them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't bully your listeners, but I just want them to know if they're listening. You know, this was fun. <laughs> it was fun. You should do this again sometime. If, Absolutely. We're going to I... do like an annual Grill Caitlin podcast. I think yes. it should be an annual thing. Yes. Well, and for my listeners who want to connect with you, Annabelle, after the show, where can they find you? I'm very boring. Only on Instagram, and it's at Montana Ranch Wife. Right. And I am Wild Rose Farmer on every single platform you can think of. (laughs) Very fancy. Uh, You do Twitter and everything? Twitter and everything. Okay. I'm not very good at Twitter because I'm kind of scared of Twitter. But <laughs> it's well, it's confusing. It's hard to follow. I actually do have Twitter. I'm on yeah. Tanner like Twitter, but it's very hard for me to follow. We'll figure it out one day, Annabelle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. It was good to chat with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim and Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, 
please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story. The highly anticipated Trailblazer Co. 2022 Holiday Gift Guide is back. Imagine one place for all of your gift giving, all while supporting a rural woman. The Trailblazer Co. Holiday Gift Guide features the products and offerings of rural women from across North America. Available in print, digital, and online, visit the link in today's show notes or visit trailblazerco.com slash gift guide and get shopping.